All right, good morning and uh, hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Today is the 29th of December. It's hard to believe this year has gotten away from us so quick. It really is true, the older you get, the faster time goes. And maybe it's because, you know, according to what man says, you have less days. And so they, they come a little bit more rapid. But I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. I'm really looking forward to the new year. And the project that I feel like God has assigned me this next year, which is to walk you through four books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, uh, mining for gold. I'll put it that way, mining for some truth, some depths of revelation that uh, maybe we haven't encountered before. I don't know anybody that is teaching this message of grace and finished work, unconditional love, that has actually done an expository teaching through those four books. So... Generally, we do topicals. Most of us guys that teach, we, do, we pick a topic and then we build uh, our, our teaching around the topic and pull, pull scriptures in uh, to bring light to the topic that we're teaching on. But I just, I, about a month ago, two months, I guess it's been a little longer than that now, a couple of months ago, three months ago, I began to have this insatiable urge to get back into the scripture. I felt like God was telling me that if I would come through the book systematically with those people at the digital cathedral, that we would see some things that we never saw before. That if we would look at it as mining for gold, that there would be nuggets that we could dig out, that we would go, aha, didn't see it quite that way before. So I've been, I've been, trying, to, um, I've been trying to channel Paul in my thinking. Don't let that word scare you. I've, I've been trying to say, okay, Paul, uh, what, are you, what are you getting at here? And I've been doing some study already in Galatians, and it's going to be, I think we're, it's going to be good. So ask, tell your friends. Have somebody come over to the house, perk up some coffee, uh, and let's, let's begin our study next week on Galatians. We've been in uh, five weeks, this is week number five, on a little series I called Unhooked a Book. And I did this series building up to what I want to start next week to help you learn how to uh, rightly look at Scripture. And I, I think we've hit on some things. If, you, if the messages you've given me and private messaged me uh, are any indication, we have hit some things that you didn't think about in reading the Bible. So our, our last one is this morning. And you might remember that last week on our, our teaching we spent the whole week learning uh, that we do a disservice to the words of Jesus when we lift them out of context. When we lift them out of who they were actually written to and try to apply them to our lives today. Right? Much, uh, what Jesus wrote is for us, but it's not to us. Something that we've all been guilty of, and it's the way we were trained in church from Sunday school up, but we, we cannot do this. We cannot put ourselves in every verse of Scripture. That's a, that's a no-no. And we all are guilty of it. We take a verse of Scripture, we read it, and we say, okay, how, how does that apply to me? Well, maybe it doesn't apply to you. Maybe it applies to those that it was written to. Now, you can pull some good stuff out of it, but that doesn't mean that you can just put yourself right in the middle of the verse. If I, if I were to write a letter to Bill, which is what Paul was basically doing when he wrote Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, he was writing to a church. If I were to write a letter to Bill, 
And if Tom read it, <clears throat> Tom might see some wisdom that I was giving Bill. Might be some good insights I was giving Bill that Tom could use and say, that would be good for my life. But the letter was not to Tom, it was to Bill. So Tom can't put himself in the middle of the letter that I wrote to Bill. You understand where I'm going with this? And we've done that with scripture. We've, take, we've tried to say, okay, I'm going to put me in every verse that I read. Everything that Jesus said, i got to put myself right in the middle of it and mold myself around it. No, you don't have to. First of all, we discovered last week that Jesus taught under the Old Covenant and was specifically to Jews. It was to Bill. Now, as Tom, we can look at the writings of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, other things, the parables that Jesus spoke, and we can pull wisdom out of it. But to say that you're in the middle of every verse is just not right. So you, you may have thought last week what I was doing was diminishing the words of Jesus. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus is infinitely above and beyond the words that he spoke in the Gospels. There's a lot more to Jesus than what he said to the Jews in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, I hope I didn't ruffle your feathers when I taught you that Jesus was a teacher under the Old Covenant. But that, in fact, is what he was. In fact, Jesus permeates the Scriptures, all of the Scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation, the whole 66 books are about Jesus. And if you'll learn the things that I've been teaching you, you, you might begin to see Jesus in all of the books. Now we've learned that sound biblical interpretation requires that we don't blend Old Covenant, New Covenant together and make it one covenant. And that's, I feel that's what's happened in the church. We've said, okay, here's one book. And so we take a little of this and a little of that and put it in the mixing bowl and get our mixer out and whip it all together and pour it out and serve it that way. And it's created a lot of confusion. It's created people that are double-minded. They don't know whether they're forgiven under the new covenant or whether they still uh, have to forgive other people in order to be forgiven themselves old covenant. There's, there's no part of scripture that Jesus is not in. He's in all 66 books. But you've got to learn how to rightly divide the books and understand which covenant that you're really reading in. Jesus, Jesus is in all of it. He's so much bigger than the books. For example, Jesus, Jesus was the active part in creation. Paul knew that. Paul wrote to the Gentiles, wrote to the nations. But he recognized the rightful position of Jesus in the entire scheme of things. I'm trying to say this. Don't limit Jesus down to what he said in red. He's much bigger than the red. Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, just to give you an idea, Paul's, Paul's concept of Jesus was way beyond the teachings that Jesus gave to the Jews. Paul said that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Then in verse 16, he says, for by Jesus, all things were created. So he said, this Jesus, Jesus was there at creation. He created, he was the active agent in all of creation. Things that are visible, invisible, thrones, principalities, dominions, powers, all things were created through him and all things were created for him. So that makes Jesus pretty doggone big, doesn't it?
Then when you come to the last verse of the last book, Revelation, I, I, I absolutely love this. Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. Last, last verse of the whole book, of the whole Bible. It says, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That's the final pronouncement of the book of Revelation is that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be on all. So whatever you think about the book of Revelation, the lake of fire, all of blah, 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 know this, that at the end of the day, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be on everybody. That was the final pronouncement. I like that. He's called the Alpha and the Omega. He's called the beginning and the end. He's the source of, of the start. He's the source of the finish. And he's everything in between. Paul said it like this. Everything comes from him. Romans chapter 11 verse 36. Everything comes from him, passes through him, and goes back to him. Circle. Not linear. Circle. From him, through him, and to him. Every page of the Bible testifies to that fact. Jesus has a name above every name. All right? So I just want to say all of that. So in case you thought we're trying to dis diminish the words of Jesus or the life of Jesus or the ministry of Jesus by what we did last week of putting him in the right covenant and discerning the right people that he was speaking to. And by letting you know that he wasn't talking to you in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He was talking to the Jews. We read the verse where he said, I've come not except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We read the instruction that he gave his disciples, and that was when he sent them out two by two. He said, go around the Gentiles. Don't go to them. He said, I'm sending you to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that commission stayed with them. Paul went to the Gentiles Peter, James, and John went to the Jews, to the circumcision. So when you, when you read the books post-resurrection of Peter, James, and John, you need to read it with that lens, knowing that who they were sent to. So you read a verse like 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The implication there is if we don't confess them, he doesn't forgive them. Where Paul said in Colossians chapter 2 and a number of other places that all your trans, transgressions, your trespasses, your sins have already been forgiven. So which is it? Well, you have to understand John is speaking to the Jews. The Jews that he was speaking to are what we call a transitional generation. They lived on both sides of the cross. The Jews that John is speaking to were used to going to the temple and making sacrifice, a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. So John is weaning them off of that. And John is saying, look, you can go directly to God. You don't need a sacrifice. You don't need to go to the temple. You don't need the priest. If you'll just confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them. He's speaking to Jews. He's transitioning them out of an old covenant mindset toward the new covenant. He's like Joseph Prince or Andrew Womack or some of the other grace teachers today that still carry some law. You know, Joseph Prince teaches grace, no question about it. 
But he also teaches some law. He teaches the tithing. Tithing is not new covenant. Tithing is old covenant. You do not have to tithe. Joseph Prince will talk to you about tithing. But he's talking to many people that are transitioning out of religion into grace that are used to tithing. And so while he's teaching them about giving out of, out of love, out of joy, out of a leading of the Spirit of God, he still has a little attachment over here to some old covenant, which is exactly what John did. You come to, to, to Paul, he is so radical, he just cuts it. It says that you should give out of a joyful heart. Never, Paul never says one thing about tithe. There's nothing about tithe in the new covenant. Jesus mentioned it, but Jesus taught under the old covenant. Jesus said you, you tithe in all these things and that's good, but he said there's some heavier, weightier matters that you need to consider which is giving to people out of love, giving to people because they have a need, Help, giving to somebody because they have a need, right? So there's a division in Scripture between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, but the co constant seamless message between the two covenants is the grace of the Father that is revealed in the Son through the Spirit. That is the thread that runs through all of the Bible. It's the thread that runs through. And if you, if you look for it, you will see it. The entire mission of the Godhead in the relationship to humanity is this. And again, you'll see this run through the scripture if you look for it. It's to unveil this immeasurable love that is continually flowing to every member of humanity on a continual basis. No matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, what you've not done, if we know it or don't know it, the love of God keeps flowing toward us to such an extent that Paul said love will never fail. If love fails for one person, one time under any circumstance, then what Paul said is not true. Love never fails. If we're going to accurately handle the Bible, we approach it with a total Christocentric, Christ-centered approach. And when you do that, if you'll, if you'll approach it through that, you'll see the love of the Father demonstrated in the Son through every book of the Scripture. And if you run into some things that you say, I, just, I don't see the love of God, I don't see God's love in that, you know what, set it aside. I, I gave you an illustration last week out of Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1 and 2. That if you just look at that old covenant, those two old covenant verses on face value, there'd be no way you could ever be blessed because it says, if you hearken to my voice, keep all my commands, all my statutes, then these are the blessings that will come to you. But the problem is you can't keep them. But when you read that with a Christocentric view, you know that in the New Covenant, it teaches us that Jesus was our obedience. So when you come back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1 and 2, with a New Testament mindset, you can read that and know that you should be blessed. You are blessed because you are obedient through the obedience of Jesus as you. Are you with me? Every time you read, 
Be looking for Jesus in the middle of it. Take him and apply it as you, on your behalf, to whatever you're reading, right? So you, you, somebody said that the new covenant is uh, hidden in the old and the new, or the old is explained in the, in the new. Well, there's some truth to that, some validity to that. Every time you read, be looking for Jesus, be looking for Jesus in the middle of it and see it through the lens of grace. How does grace look at this? When you come to the Bible, we don't come to the Bible to find out how to live. That'll happen. That will happen. But that's not your main motivation coming to the Bible. To read, to read uh, the do's and the don'ts and what you should keep and what you shouldn't do, that's not the main reason you come to the Bible. We don't, we don't read the Bible just to gain knowledge of the Bible. You'll gain knowledge. I know people that have know so many Bible facts. They could tell you all the sons of Jacob. They can name all 12 tribes of Israel. They, they have all the facts and knowledge down. That's not why we come. You will get knowledge of the Bible when you go to the Bible, but that's not why you go. We don't come to the Bible just to be motivated and inspired. Are, will you be motivated and inspired when you read the Bible? Yes, but that's not why you go to the Bible. That's not using the Bible as it was intended to be used. Well, if we don't read the Bible to find out how to live, if we don't go to the Bible to learn knowledge and facts and to be motivated and inspired, why do we go to the Bible? We go to the Bible for one main purpose. You come to this book to have an encounter with the living Christ. This book will direct you to the Christ that is within the Bible is not an end in itself. The Bible is a witness that points to the one that is bigger than the book. I wish I could drive that down in people. The book is not the end-all, be-all. The book points us to the Christ within that is bigger than the book. John knew that. John said in John chapter 21, why we don't emphasize this is beyond me. John said this, John chapter 21, right toward the end of his writing, verse 25. John chapter 21 and verse 25. Matter of fact, it is the end of his writings. It's the last verse that John wrote. He said, there are so many other things that Jesus did. I mean, this got done 21 chapters talking about Jesus and the thing Jesus did. But he said there's so much more that Jesus did, which if they were written, if they were written one by one, he said, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written about the things that Jesus did. He's bigger than the book. Why we keep Jesus in the book, I don't know. The role of the spirit of truth that you have is to unpack Jesus in his fullness. This book should whet your appetite to know him on a level and a depth that you may never see in the book. I'm giving you some good stuff here. John was saying Jesus is so big, so incredible, so, so marvelous that there's no way to do this 
This large Jesus, this big Jesus, there's no way to do him justice by just writing about him. And I did some research. And I discovered that Jesus spoke just over 2,000 words. Now there's about 775,000 words in the Bible, depending on the translation. It's going to vary a little bit. But just to give you a comparison, Jesus spoke 2,000 words out of 775,000 words. So to take your belief system and build it only around the red letters or the 2,000 words is to diminish the impact that Jesus made on all of Scripture. Paul never talked about the miracles of Jesus, the parables of Jesus, never quoted Jesus. But Paul was full of Jesus, revealing him in dimensions and depth that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had no clue to. Because he was writing post-cross. But when you just limit Jesus down to the red letters, you narrow your focus down on who he is and what he's all about. You, you bring it in, then into a, into a world of intellectual understanding. Jesus is not to be intellectually understood. He is to be spiritually encountered. Have you encountered the living Christ within? Paul understood that. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. Philippians chapter 3 verse 8. He said, Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may know Christ. Paul's drawing a balance here. He's saying, look, everything else I know is diminished, including all of his knowledge of the old covenant. Paul was a learned man. He was an educated man. He said, all of that stuff is rubbish. It's trash. He said, the only thing I want to know is the Christ that is beyond what I've already learned. That's not an intellectual grasping. That is a, a spiritual revelation. It's an encounter that you have that, that draws you into a place beyond what the Bible may tell you. Now, I know people say, well, you know, if it's not in the Bible, it's dangerous. <clears throat> Who told you that? Did Jesus tell you that? Did Paul tell you that? <clears throat> or did the pastor tell you that? The church tell you that? So that they can control what you read and how you read it and what it says. Paul goes on in verse 9. He said, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him. The power of the resurrection, what all the resurrection has given us. The fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul is saying there is such a depth to Jesus that I want to, I want to, I want to come to. But you'll not get it just by saying, I'm, I'm only going to read the Bible. When we come through the books of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, what I want to happen, and, and, and I, I know it will because I feel like this is part of what the, the, my assignment is. I want those books to become um, a, a springboard, a diving board that will launch you into the pool of depth beyond anything you've ever known. 
We're not going to just take the books and read it and say, okay, this is what it says. We want to get beneath that. We want to get down to what Paul was trying to, to bring us by revelation. See, the Father sent the Son, and I believe this book was written to give us a living in, encounter and an experience with the one that paid for us, all of it, to, to understand all of it, its completeness. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth that is in you, he never speaks of himself. All he does is point to Jesus. He points to Jesus. He unveils Jesus, unravels, unpacks, shows you more truth about Jesus. That's his only job, to unwrap for us this incredible gift that was given to us and give us a revelation of what it means and how big that it actually is. Because he knows when we understand and see this man of grace, this Jesus of radical grace. When that revelation hits us, and we're not just bound to the book, we've unhooked the book. When you unhook the book, the book will take you past what the book says. Did you catch that? When you unhook the book, the book will give you freedom to go beyond what the book says. The book will bring you to an encounter with the living Christ. And when you have that encounter with grace himself, the grace will be radical. By radical, I mean it will strip all of the law, all of the religion. It will strip everything off of that grace, all of the doctrine, all of the us and them mindsets, all of the uh, I am right and you're wrong. My church has got it. Your church doesn't have it. It will strip all of that off until this encounter with the living Christ will bring you down to where there is nothing but you and him. That'll be the sum total of the whole thing. You and him. And what he says to you. Scripture wants to bring us to one place. And Paul hit it. Do you know him? His heart, his outlook, his vision. The way that he sees people. Do you know him the way that he sees you? Do you know his desires? Do you know what really makes his heart beat? Not that you know doctrine about him. Not that you can parrot what he said. Not that you're able to say, well, the Bible says, and you've got this litany of scriptures that you can vomit on everybody. Not that you become unmovable in your views about him. But have this book will bring you to the place where you will be asked, have you had a life changing encounter with the living Christ. An encounter that has power to daily show you more of him. And as you learn more and more about him, you're going to know more and more about yourself. Do you understand that? That's why it's important you have an encounter with him so that you have an encounter with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, but we all with an unveiled face. That's what an encounter with him will do. It will take the blinders off, the veils off, everything off your eyes. You'll begin to see plainly. We all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord in a mirror is the revelation of him. 
when you see him in the mirror, what his glory is, the rest of the verse says that when that happens, we will be conformed into exactly what we see. We all with an unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory or from depth to depth, from dimension to dimension, from image to sharper image to sharper image to focusing down and seeing even more. That's what I hope you're getting out of this Unhooked to Book series is the whole purpose of the Bible, the separating of the covenants, the words of Jesus from the words of Paul is to bring you to a place of personal encounter. See, I, I, I can tell you about pizza. I can, I, can, I can give you all of the technical explanation you want about pizza, all of the ingredients, how pizza's made, the, the history of pizza, all the variations of pizza, Chicago-style pizza, New York-style pizza, thin crust, thick crust, Deep dish. But you're never going to know about pizza till you eat a slice, right? I'm afraid we've been a church that's been full of the knowledge of Jesus. We've been Jesus experts. I call it being Jesus experts that are, are scriptural mechanics. You can break a, a wrench out of what Hebrew says, of, take out some pliers of what Colossians brings. But we have a church full of people that are Jesus experts, that are scriptural mechanics, but have never had an experience, an encounter with him. Romans 8 is, is what the whole thing is about when it comes down to encountering him and why we encounter him. Paul lays it out so clearly in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He said, I, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy. They're not even on the same scale to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Not to us, in us. There's a dimension of God's glory that is in you that has yet to be revealed. And we're going to get it through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, all right? For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected in awe, it in hope. Verse 21. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Do you see what that verse, those verses are saying? That we have an assignment. The assignment that we have is to have an encounter with him. And out of that encounter with him, we begin to manifest ourselves as sons and daughters of God. We begin to display on a daily basis, Paul said, the glory that is of God. His presence, his life, his healing, his, his wisdom. That, that encounter will lead you to a radical grace. And that radical grace that is, that is free of all law, all, all hindrances, all stringent ties that have been put on you is going to lead you 
to a revelation of the fatherhood of God and his fatherhood of all men. Paul said, there is, one God of father, there is one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in all. Paul got the revelation of the universality of the fatherhood of God. And he got that through grace. The universality of the, of the, of the fatherhood of God shows you his love, how he sees everybody. Paul put it like this. He said, don't know anybody after the flesh. See him like God sees him. Don't even know yourself after the flesh. See yourself like God sees you. And that revelation of the fatherhood of God and the unconditional love that he carries and you carry and you demonstrate it is going to lead you to manifest as a son of God. And when you manifest as a son of God, you're going to bring all of creation, not just people, all of creation, into the glorious liberty that they were designed to have and to enjoy. So as you encounter Jesus and rightly divide the covenants and you become an able minister of the new covenant alone, revelation is going to well up in your spirit and you're going to see with new eyes yourself, other people, fatherhood of God. You're going to see Jesus differently. So what I've done now, and I want to end this five-part series, I've penned out 12 things that should be the lens through which we see the gospel. Right? Now I've got a, a scripture for each of these, or a couple scriptures, sometimes three. So here, when you manifest as a son of God, these 12 things have got to be that the instruments that you work with that allows you now to free creation. So when you, when you come through the scriptures, these are 12 things that you're able to see through when you look at Scripture. This will help to give Scripture the right focus, the right emphasis. I'm not going to tell you what to see when you read the Bible, but I will give you some good uh, ways to look at it. For example, let me, let me just walk through some of these. Let's just call these 12... 12 uh, prescriptions that will give you the right lens to look at Scripture. You know, I've worn glasses all my life, and I usually get an eye appointment every year. When I was, when I was a kid, my prescription changed every year. As you get older, your eyes don't change as rapidly, so I don't get a change of prescription. But when I do, I get new glasses. So I want to give you uh, 12 things that will make up the prescription of your eyeglasses when you read Scripture, how you look at it. All right, number one, number one, whenever you look at Scripture, make sure that you understand that God has forgiven all of our sins. He has forgiven all of our sins. It is a done deal at the cross. Sin is a moot point as far as God is concerned. I'm going to try not to, to, to teach on each of these because I'll never get through the twelve. Does that mean we, we just do whatever we want to do? No, sin has a kickback to it. Sin is, has a seed of death, but it doesn't come from God. First, first John chapter 2, verse 2 says that he is a propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. John chapter 1, verse 29, John looks and says, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's gone, it's done, it's history, it's behind us. So make sure when you, when you read your Bible, you're looking through 
the lens of sin being past tense. Not only that, number two, God has no remembrance of sin. He's not going to throw it up in your face. He has no remembrance of sin. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. Some of these verses I want to make sure I turn over and read them exactly as they should be read. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. It says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Christ, even we who believed in Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of, of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So the word justified means just as if. We have been justified. We have been made just as if we never sinned. That's how God looks at us. God has no remembrance, absolutely no remembrance of sin. He looks at you just as if you had never, ever sinned. Number three, God will never be angry with you. When you read through the scripture, make sure you understand God will never be angry with you. So when you read verses where you, it looks like God is angry or vindictive or judicial, you need to come back and begin to look at that through the right lens. If, it, if you can't understand it, set it on the back burner. His mercy endures forever. He will always do good to us and for us. He's merciful. His mercy endures forever. He doesn't always, you know, he never gives us necessarily, and I don't really like this definition of mercy, but I think it, it explains it somewhat. Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you deserve. Grace is when he gives you what you don't deserve. Right? So the, opposite, the other side of the coin is he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have a paycheck he gives you based on what you do. He's never angry with you. Number four, God qualifies us. He has qualified us. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 tells us that he has qualified us. To be a partaker. He's qualified us to be a partaker of the inheritance. It's no longer based on what you do. That's old covenant. It's all about the trust in what Christ has done. As us. Number five. Jesus takes a hold of us and never lets go. He took a hold of us at the cross. He's never let us go. You were crucified with him. You were co-crucified. He embraced you at the cross. He embraced you in the tomb. He embraced you in the resurrection. He's embraced you when he ascended into heaven. He embraces you today as you sit with him at the right hand of God. Romans chapter 8 verses 35 and 38 and 39 tells us that nothing can separate us. We are embraced. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither principalities or dominions or heights or depths. Anything else can separate us from God's love. He took a hold of us and he hasn't let go. The cross was a time that he he's died for us to let us know how much he has already embraced us. Number six, God credits to humanity perfect righteousness. He takes humanity's account and he direct deposits the righteousness of Jesus into that account. Righteousness is not earned. It's not even a gift. I... I Evangelicals still got this mindset that, well, it's a gift, but you have to receive it. 
So I've embraced this idea that, no, it's direct deposited. You know, back when I got a, a, a check every week, when I got a paycheck from the church, it was direct deposited into my account. I didn't have to receive the check, didn't have to go cash it. It was just given to me. It was, it was direct deposited. And I like that term much better when we talk about uh, the righteousness of God, when we talk about salvation. It's not just a gift that you have to receive and wrap or do something with. It's direct deposited. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. Maybe I should just read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. I know I'm running, uh, my time is running short, so let me just hurry on with these. I want to get through all 12 of these. Because these are the lens through which you read the scripture. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, it says, But of him you are in Christ, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So Jesus became those things for you. They were direct deposited into your life. Number seven, God gives us the Holy Spirit to teach us, to empower us, to lead us into all truth. You are led by the Spirit of God and you're going to grow in that. Jesus promised us in John chapter 16, verse 13, that when he left, he would send us the spirit of truth that would guide us into all truth. And you're going to become so dependent on that spirit of truth that you will depend on him above everything else to guide you. All right, number eight, nine, and ten all have to do with God's position toward us. Number eight, God is for us. When you sin, Jesus doesn't judge you. The Father doesn't judge us. In fact, he defends us. John chapter 5, verse 22. John chapter 12, verse 47. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 are all scriptures that unveil to us that the Father doesn't judge us, has given all judgment to the Son. The Son doesn't judge us. The scripture reveals that if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father and a defense attorney that pleads our cause. Says they're not guilty, the Father says. Number nine, God is with us. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake us. There's nothing that can break that because Jesus is the door to the throne 24-7. He is always with us. Number 10, God empowers us to overcome. These are all scriptures you need to uh, understand. These are all truths that you have to integrate so that you can rightly divide the word. Because I know still some of you in your mindset, you're mixing covenants, you're bringing the old into the new and questioning your relationship to God, your salvation, your righteousness because of old covenant. He empowers us to overcome. That's your destiny. You are now an overcomer. Romans 5, 17, For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more, much more, they which receive abundance of grace and a gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Number 11, God offers us his rest. The new covenant is done. And it surpasses the old covenant mentality of do. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 9 through 11. 
tells us to enter into that rest, and that is the biggest labor you'll have is to enter rest. Jesus said, take to me upon you my yoke and my burden. It's easy and light. Anything that is more than heavier than light or more difficult than easy or is not yours, you need to enter the rest. So when you read the scriptures, make sure you read it through the lens of rest, not do, but done. And number 12, God gives us eternal life. You have it now. <clears throat> Last enemy to be destroyed is death. It's been defeated. He gives you eternal life now. John said, these things have I written that you might know that you have eternal life. And again, I read from 1 John chapter 2 and verse 25. I know I'm overwhelming you this morning. That's all right. You can go back and listen to this, write the 12 down, get the scriptures, and know this is the prescription of the eyeglasses that you look through so that when we come to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, the spirit of truth is going to show you things you've never seen before. Next year at this time, you're not going to be the same person. I'll just prophesy that over you. Because of what we're going to uncover. You have, let's fix it. You have eternal life now. 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. And this is the promise that he promises us. Eternal life. You have to know that you got it now. All right, from this day forward, I just speak over you that when you read your Bible, when you break it out, it's going to lead you to an encounter, not just knowledge, not just inspiration, not just how to live. It's going to lead you to an encounter, a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus as never before. If that's what you want, if you want that encounter, then you're going to have to know something. You're going to have to begin to take radical grace, which will draw you into unconditional love in the fatherhood of God, which will manifest you as a son, which is going to busy you freeing all of creation into their glorious liberty. So you better be ready to throw some of those sacred cows that even some of you grace people are still holding to. Throw those cows on the grill. Father has this unbelievable love for all of creation. It's going to overpower you. You're going to feel his love. You're going to experience his love as never before. And in the name of Jesus, you're going to live in the power of that love daily. These 12 are going to build your spirit, man. They're going to become the lens through which you, which you see. They're called corrective lenses. Because these 12 correct what you don't see naturally. I wear corrective lenses. They have a prescription to them. They take my natural sight, which is not perfect, and makes it perfect. These 12 are going to be the prescription through which you look. Have you got it? So let the 12 work for you. Get the scriptures on them. And let's rightly divide the word. Let's take it the way that it's supposed to be. And let's be ready next week to start at Galatians 1. Look, go through the first couple chapters of Galatians and read it out of several versions. Let's get ready for next week. And I want to take it beyond what you just see on the surface. 
I hope, I don't know how long it's going to take. may take the rest of my life to get through those four books. I don't know. But let's pray we get some real through it in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, see you Wednesday night. Back next Sunday, we begin our, our prolonged series beginning with Genesis 1-1. Have a wonderful New Year's Eve. Be careful. Uh, don't stay out too late. And uh, enjoy the evening. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. We thank you for being with us today on the Digital Cathedral. We trust that today's teaching helped you in your journey to the abundant life Jesus has freely given to all. If you would like to help support us in spreading the gospel of grace, you can do so by going to donkeithley.com to make your donation. We thank you for your prayers and continued monthly support and look forward to seeing you again next week at the Digital Cathedral.